0: I'd like us to resume our excursion into the Acts of the Apostles. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. Very interesting. We, we left the actors, the main, the ones being talked about, in chapter 8. I'd like to resume that. Um, great persecution had arisen. Uh-huh. On the death of Stephen. It was instigated mostly, it seems, by Saul. He went, through every, he went around every house, persecuted the people, throwing them into prison. We ought to read it. And I want to continue from there. Chapter 8 of Acts. And Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death. At that time, from that moment, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea, that's surrounding Jerusalem, and Samaria, except the apostles. And it's been suggested that really it was the Hellenists, the non Jewish speakers, who were pushed out. Stephen, a Hellenist, upset the uh, people in the tabernacle, not the tabernacle, what's it called? The synagogue of the libertines. That was the origin of Stephen's stoning. He upset the Judaizing Jews. No, he he upset the the Jews in his synagogue. And that precipitated his stoning. And it suggested that it was mostly the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking visitors to Jerusalem that were pushed out to the surrounding areas. And Samaria. Now you know that Samaria was a problem. Um, For 500 years. The Jews have been trying. The Judeans have been trying to reunite. Samaria with the mother religion. The Jerusalem centred worship. That they should come under the rule of Jerusalem. They hated each other. The Samaritans and the Judeans. They were at loggerheads. And some of them were pushed out there. Which is interesting. Um, Let's read on. And verse 2. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, Preaching the word. And you remember, then, verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and preached Christ unto them. And the people, with one accord, gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the signs which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out, of many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed and there arose great joy in that city um, I don't want to be repetitious and I can't remember whether I said this here or somewhere else but it was a great thing that the the gospel had succeeded by the declaration of the word of Jesus in uniting the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Samaria, who'd intermingled with the heathens, and the Judeans, they'd been trying for 500 years by, by, the, by dint of the use of the sword to bring the Samaritans to heal. And now, with the declaration of Jesus risen, they came in. They were ripe. They were just ready. Do you remember... That it was the, in, Sumer, in Samaria, the city of Sychar, that Jesus was so well received. Do you remember that? He found and he was fleeing Judea. They were after him. It was getting too hot, and so he took. A, he travelled up. This is in about John's Gospel, chapter three, and so he travelled up to Galilee and he passed through Samaria. Why was he moving? Because they wouldn't have it. They, when the Pharisees saw that Jesus this, um, uh, baptized more disciples than John, there was a pro- they had a problem with John, and they were getting a bigger problem with Jesus. Look, we're in, said the Pharisees and the ruling Jews, we're in charge of the religious stuff. I don't know who he thinks he is, we've taken his head off, um, that's John the Baptist, and who, do he, who does he, he think he is? And it was all getting too hot. And Jesus backed off. And he went through Sinai. So, what's the point? The point is that the, his work in Judea uh, had, not, had not produced a national turning to their Messiah. They didn't believe, really. And the ones that did begin to believe in Jerusalem, he didn't give himself to them because their faith wasn't, faith wasn't worth much. It was only as long as they were seeing the signs and the wonders. But Jesus knew what was in men's hearts. And he didn't commit himself to them. It wasn't real faith, can we say, yet. Anyway, so it was in Sychar, this Samaritan town, that Jesus was received very differently. Just a word of knowledge from Jesus to this woman at the well. And he, he responded to her frankness, to her openness, to her truthfulness, her sincerity. And uh, he, we, we might come back to that later. Um, but it was in that place, just one word. Don't fetch your husband. He wasn't going to talk to her without talking to the people who were linked to her and had responsibility for her life. And she said, truthfully, I have no husband. And Jesus said, that's right. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with at the moment isn't your husband. Interesting, in the Greek, the emphasis is on thy husband. Inference being, he was somebody else's husband. All right. Um... And, but she went and told the people and they streamed at, on the basis of her testimony. Come, see a man that told me all that I ever did. Just on one word of, of knowledge. And they were, they were responsive. And they said yes. And they came and they came flooding across the fields to see Jesus. And they said, it was a, it's a wonderful story. And they said, look, will you stay with us? And so he stayed with them a couple of days. And then went on his journey to Back to Galilee. Here's Philip in Samaria. Um, Back there. And he was met with with open hearts. And they responded. They were ready. They were expecting a Messiah in their own corrupt Samaritan way. And when they heard about Jesus and the resurrection, they received. Verse 9. But... There was a certain man called Simon, which before time, in the same city, used sorcery and astonished the people. It's the, old, the, old, the old language is bewitched, as if he actually had the authority. No, no, the word is astonished. Um, so just because they thought Simon had great powers, doesn't mean to say that you and I need to agree with them. Uh, the writer, Luke, is talking about what they thought. And he astonished them for a long time, giving out himself was some great one. That's what that was his message. I'm just so wonderful. Look at all these marvelous sorceries I can do. Watch out. Verse 10 To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this is the great power of God. Alright, so they were all in his thrall. And to him they had regard, because that a long time he had astonished them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, declaring the glad tidings concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, Messiah, they were baptised, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also and when he was baptised he continued with Philip and wondered beholding the great miracles and signs which were done. Now it was his time to be astonished, his turn to be astonished. He, they all thought he was marvellous but he was sticking to Philip and his buddies like glue, marvelling at the great powers he had. So that's the picture. And act is about the, so much of act is about the external fact of the progress of the Gospel as it was declared and received. This place, this time, these people, missionary journey here, a lot of external fact. And what I want you to think about with me this afternoon is that that in that context we're constantly Reminded of another greater thread, strand. Can we read? Constantly, it's not just what happened, or these people and where it happened, there's something else. It's the what was happening that's addressed. Let's let's read it. Now, verse 14: when the apostles which were at Jerusalem Heard that Samaria, uh, uh, Samaria? Are you kidding me? Had received the word of God. They sent down to them Peter, they sent down to them Peter and John. Who, when they were come down, prayed for them. That they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet, he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the... Now this is what Simon saw. You and I don't have to think that it was cause and effect, I would suggest to you. We're having related to what Simon saw, what he thought he saw. This was... I suggest to you Simon's interpretation, and I'll explain in a minute. And when Simon, can I, I want to take the sense of thought he saw, right, this is his interpretation of what he saw, I suggest. When Simon saw that through laying on on the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, riches, saying, give me this authority that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. <laughs> oh, you get, and so his um, charlatan nature was just fascinated by this. Interesting point about Simon. Um, I'm told that he uh, occupies a unique position in early Christian literature and that all the Gnostic heresies are attributed to this Simon. So things didn't go very well apparently it, it, lots and lots of writers irenaeus and all a lot of the early fathers he's mentioned as the originator of the gnostic heresies that are referred to in the book of the revelation that's just you might be interested in so i'm told so but peter said unto him thy silver perish with thee because thou hast thought ...that the gift of God may be purchased with riches. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. Now, Peter, in his role as an apostle, is making a judgment here. Um, You know, John said later on, um, 60 years later, we read in the epistles, uh, ...try the spirits and see whether they be of God. So here's Peter's trying of the spirit... And he came up with the fact that this wasn't the Spirit of God motivating Simon. Fair enough. And he he shared this with him directly. Thou hast no part, no lot in this, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, from this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Um, By the way, remember Ananias and Sapphira that wasn't very many days ago Um, you understand Uh, there was a, a peril in messing around with the divine things in these days for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity then answered Simon and said pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. All right. Um, <clears throat> so, I wanted to ask to, and I hope you don't mind, I'm just going to, uh, I, hope, you know, I hope it's not a question of self-indulgence, but it just seems a helpful tangent to go off at. And to consider for a little bit, in this history of external facts we have brought to our attention and what becomes the central issue is the miraculous intervention of God the Father through God the Son by the agency of the Holy Ghost. The miraculous intervention of God in individual lives. This fact here, this person, that per- And in the middle of this historical, factual, external account we've got this issue brought forth. They hadn't yet received the baptism in the Spirit. This divine intervention hadn't occurred. What? Is it really that important? Mm. That's what I wanted to talk about. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it really is. So look, We're simple souls, we can become conditioned by the kind of environment in which we're brought up. And we can think that Christianity has to do with the, I don't know, I'm sure you don't think this, but it wouldn't be hard to imagine that the... The, the spread of Christianity had to do with the spread of certain behaviours, certain organisations, certain hierarchies, if you're that way inclined, a bishop and a this and a that, and the robes and, and the rites, the, the baptisms and the confirmations and the this and the other. And we can look at the external trappings of our forebears, because let's face it none of us invented those patterns of behaviour. We've inherited them from Christians who've gone before. Is that right? Okay. And my thesis, my proposition to you, is that those external behaviours, which by the way, are very varied. You can go from the Quakers, who sat in a circle and said nothing. There was no communion, even though Jesus had said, take the, take the bread and take the wine. There was no communion among the Quakers. There was no baptism. They must have had marriages. But I don't think there were any external ceremonies. They sat in the circle and they didn't say anything. That's how they did it. And then you can think of, let's be kind, the Anglicans. The Reformed Anglicans. They've got, it's almost like a Roman Catholic set up. They've got bishops and paraphernalia and robes and... Crosses, And if you're lucky, not lucky. It could be smells and bells. Uh, It's got the whole thing. And there's a huge variety of of behaviours that people who call upon the name of the Lord adopt. None of which the Lord Jesus commanded, by and large. Yes, there's a talk about be baptised in water um, on repentance. Yes, we're commanded that. Yes, we are commanded to take the emblems of his broken body and pour out life, the bread and the wine. We're commanded to take that. But not very much else in the way of detail about what Christians should get up to. And so religious man has made up all manner of a whole dog's breakfast of things that you should and shouldn't do. Um, <laughs> I just say there's a lot of variety there. You've got to confess that. My suggestion to you is that at dog's breakfast of behaviours and patterns of doing things, ate Christianity at its core. What is Christianity at its core? Is this thing that just keeps coming through and smacking us in the face? What did Jesus talk about all the time? The promise of the Father. Which you have heard from me. Oh, when did Jesus talk about the promise of the Father? On virtually every page of the Gospel. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the disciples, a couple of days ago, a week or two back, they were to tarry in Jerusalem until they received Jesus' words. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, the promise of the Father. Which you have heard from me. And we can rejoice that actually the oddnesses and the contradictions and the strangenesses and bear in mind that a lot of Christian practice wasn't invented by us. It was invented by our forebears. A lot of these things, that's not the core of Christianity. What is the core of Christianity is this issue here. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? What? The promise of the Father. Which Jesus said, you've heard of me. Well, when did Jesus talk about it? Well, I'm glad you asked. I thought we could do a survey. Um, First of all, John the Baptist was the first one to flag this. Well, no, that's not true, was it? It was God that flagged it with John the Baptist. So John the Baptist said, he who sent me to baptise in water, he told me this. And remember, they all thought John had come from God. He said, the one on whom you see the Holy Ghost descending in the form of a dove and remaining, watch him. Well, he didn't say watch him. He it is that dips in God. What? So there's a, there's a flag. Look, these promises came in the Old Testament. Or other way. The promises were there in the Old Testament but nobody understood them. Jesus said to Nicodemus, art thou a teacher in Israel and understandest not, not these things? The clues were there, but the hearts were hardened, unregenerate, just like yours and mine, until the Lord breathes life into us. So there, there were promises there. We, oh, look, we haven't got time. Uh, we could think about the proto-evangelium. I think we did that the other week. Um, the, the word of the Lord to the serpent. That your seed... I'm going to get it mixed up, aren't I? Shall bite his foot. And the woman's seed will crush you under his heel. That was the promise. That there was going to be an end to the rain of sin in men and women by the seed of the woman. Jesus, the king, seed of the woman. That was the promise. But it was a bit covered up. Jesus started to bring it out more. Jeremiah, I'm going to write my law in their hearts. What I did before didn't really work. Again, that's a paraphrase. Jeremiah 31, I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm going to cause them to walk in my paths. I'm going to write my law in their hearts. Ah. So that they will become the kind of people that I am. What? Yeah, this is the promise of the Father. How is he going to do this? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're talking about. This is the whole point. The the whole point of Scripture is to, to present Jesus, and the whole point of Jesus is that he is sent of the Father to redeem, to buy back what was lost, and to change men and women through this mechanism. And it seems to me that if we're not careful, we can lose sight of the elephant In the drawing room, Um, we can lose sight of the central issue. It's all the the sort of who does what and which the ministers and this, that, uh, and how we carry on our church life together is not the central issue. Yes, we've got to work them through and walk in good conscience and learn and be advised by Scripture, but the central issue. Is this thing that keeps popping up? Um, so Simon, so Peter and John got there, and they thought they found that they'd never received the Holy Ghost, and so they this miraculous. Look, that's the, one of the reasons that I think one of the reasons that we become deviated from this central matter is it's very embarrassing for us. We can't do anything about it. Oh no, there's another church programme. Let's have a program. Ah sorry. What? I don't know what it's like. Sorry. It, why is it doing that? Nobody ever talks to me. Who who would who would want to? And then I can't see. I I put this is that on or off?
1: Put it down. Put it down. (laughs) Anyway,
0: that's fine. Here, look, I have a solution. Okay, now, sorry guys. I actually brought brought this up for a purpose. Because I, mostly when they do that, it's... (laughs) And I've got to press another button. And and the chances of pressing the wrong button is so high... uh, I want that. Okay. Life buttons. There we are. Um. Can you help me? Ah, yes. It's very embarrassing because we can't do anything about it. No, no, not that. It's the whole, the, the re- I I suspect that the re- one. Of the- I suspect that the reason that we become. Uh, Uh, distracted from this central matter is that it's very embarrassing for us it doesn't lie within our power to do anything about for this brother or for this sister Um, yes we can ask the Lord for them, yes we can be a faithful witness to them but ultimately at the pointy end it's an issue between them and the master and we're very uncomfortable. let's have a program, let's, we, could, we could do a mission, we could have an alpha course, we could do all these other things, we can do those, we can do those, that's not embarrassing at all, look we've done this, and all these people came in, but it ain't as if we are causing God to make those men and women new, well, our hands are tied, but for faithfulness and prayer, beyond that, it's between him And him, between her and the master. And I think that's one of the reasons, perhaps, that um, we can build up the whole system and run the danger of not finding God in it, active in it. And that the Lord's active everywhere. Uh, So he's not limited by our stupidity. He's not limited by that. But it doesn't mean to say that we should be stupid when we can help it. Um, so the promise of the Father, which you've heard of me, and, and you can trace many, many promises. And then We've been to Jeremiah 31. We can think about Ezekiel 36. I'll put my spirit in them. I'll give them a new heart. I'll take away the stony heart out of the flesh. The whole problem was the hard anti god heart it's all right god said I, i've got a solution in this new covenant this is my blood in the new covenant sorry this is my this is the new covenant in my blood and the new covenant was foretold 1500 years before jeremiah was talking about it ezekiel was talking about it there's going to come a day when the when the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent under his foot Um, and all the enthrallment and bondage that kept men and women from being what they should be would be broken. Uh, But Jesus, so there were were lots of clues there, but when Jesus came, he started to say things more directly. Uh, And so, we have that, uh, we have God flagging to John the Baptist, this one, you're baptised with water, the one that you see the Holy Ghost remaining upon, he's different, he's going to baptise in God. How many people do you think have the authority to baptise in God the Spirit? I, I mention this because people take this story of Samaria and build all manner of theologies upon it, whole theological systems are built on it. For instance, there are some of our brethren who would say that, astonishing, um, who would say that this business of confirmation, you might like to think about the Roman Catholics and the Anglicans and who else that are confirmed. I think the, the, the Presbyterian Scots have got some, something similar. Now, what happens then is the bishop or a delegate of the bishop lays his hands on the candidate for confirmation. And at that time of laying his hands on, that is when the individual receives the Holy Ghost. I wonder where they got that idea from. Alright, so people build up a whole theological system. So we're expected to think that the impartation of the Spirit is dependent on the laying on of hands of authorised persons. But there are some problems with that view. Number one, Jesus is the sole purveyor of this blessing. He, it is, who baptises in the Holy Ghost. Two, on the day of Pentecost, who laid hands on whom? Well, since you ask, there's no laying on of hands mentioned. Okay, so did Jesus say anything about laying on of hands? This will... No. Did Paul say anything about this in 1 Corinthians 12? Or 2 Corinthians, no, one Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1, when he was talking about the gift of the Spirit. No, no, no mention of laying on of hands and the impartation of the Spirit. I've got a good one. Um, when we get to chapter 10, dear old Peter, he'd been through a real wigging. No, I'm not going to eat that, Lord, I've never eaten anything. Peter, shut up, eat it. He didn't say shut up, he said, do as you're told. Uh, don't you call what God has made clean unclean. Alright. And he took and he ate in his vision, his dream, on the roof in Joppa. What, was, what happened next? Knock on the door and there were two blokes from... Oh and then they went down to Joppa. Am I getting my geography confused? Two blokes from Cornelius' house, come with us. And, and Peter knew he had to go. He would never ordinarily have gone. Look, when they came in from Gentile lands, they shook off the dust from their feet, so they didn't contaminate the Holy Land with Gentile uncleanness. No, we certainly won't go into a Gentile house. We're Jews. Who do you think we are? And he had been taught of God that he had to go. And do you remember what happened? While he was yet speaking, and Cornelius was a just man. God had been working on him. He'd been serving God from his heart. And while Peter was yet speaking... What happened? (laughs) The Holy Ghost fell on them. He didn't even get the chance to get to the end of his sermon. Um, No mention of laying on of hands. So that whole theological system, I suggest to you, is built on very shaky ground. Would you agree? Here's another one. I was told should I say this? I think I will um, when I was 17 I, I was, I'd been seeking the Lord I wanted the Lord to meet me I was among a bunch of people and they were clean, they were holy they were what people should be and the Lord had given me grace to pray look, I started off, my response was Lord, I don't want to be like them uh, they're holy mm. but I know if I'm not I'm lost. Will you change me, Lord, so that I want to be clean? Interesting. Um, A few weeks later, I've said this before, but a few weeks later that had become my prayer. Somehow, wonderfully, the Lord had answered my prayer and my heart's desire and my proper confession was, Lord, make me clean. Make me like them. I want what they've got. Isn't that interesting how the Lord is able to answer and willing to answer our prayers? And so I had begun to ask the Lord, Lord, I I want to be new. I want to be like these people who care about you, who love you, they worship you. This was my impression of being in the meeting. There was a house fellowship and done with a charismatic renewal. There we are. Now, when the... Fellowship that I was, my mother was part of, and that was kind of in charge of me, got wind of this. I was a, at a boarding school. So this was going on at boarding school. I'd been at boarding school since I was nine. Hmm, some explanation there. Look, and uh, so, <laughs> and when they heard that I was going to get baptized with these, they were very, very suspicious of these um, house church people. This is 1975, 1976. It was all very strange. So, oh, they right, let, said, quick, let's baptise him. And they said, because I'd been asking to be baptised for weeks. And they said, no, 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 no. You've got to have done a six-week course before you can do that. Well, when it was turned out that I was going to baptise so they'd be baptised there. They said, right, let's get him done quick. So, and the old man that um, pushed me under, the, <laughs> the old man, nice old man, um, said to me this. And, <laughs> I must try and be good. He said, uh, you'll go down into the water feeling all dirty. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, But when you come out, you'll feel all clean. Can you imagine the expectation in this young man's heart? I've been asking the Lord to make me new, make me clean. So I went down into the water, splash. And when I came up, It was me again, hello. (laughs) It, It was, you understand. So look, the water doesn't do it either. You understand. But the Lord Jesus saw my heart and within a couple of weeks, perhaps three, four weeks of that, he got hold of me and baptized me in his baptism, which did make me clean, which did make me new and did make me like them. Uh, in principle uh, and really there's nothing else to talk about I don't think I've talked about anything else seriously ever since that, it, that is the gospel that we need God to do this for us and every time uh, every page of the Acts of the Apostles it, it keeps coming up that the central issue not these doctrines or those yes we need to have proper doctrine that's helpful and support faith But the central issue is that we um, persuade, nay, we present ourselves to him so that he is able to baptise us into him and make us new. So he said to Nicodemus, who thought that he was going to get into the kingdom of God because he was a good Jew, I said, Nicodemus, you're going to ask me about the kingdom of God. I'll cut to the chase. Except a man is born from above. Huh, I'm a Jew. I don't need to be born from a... God. I'm going to get into the kingdom of God, Jesus. Don't you know what we believe? Yeah, I do. Which is why I'm telling you this. Uh, uh, I'm a Jew. Of course I'm in the kingdom just by being a good Jew. I'm part of the messianic thing. Is there... No, 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 no. Nicodemus. Except a man is born from above. Forget Abraham. Forget Moses. Forget your lineage. You know the Jews keep very careful lineage. They can prove that they're the real deal. That they're a proper Jew. So that when the Messiah comes, right, I'm in. Look, look, I got it all written down. Dating back thousands of years. They've been doing it for a long time. Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's not the kingdom of God. Except a man is born from above. He can't see the kingdom of God. So, and it was to him, um, you've got to be born of water, and of the Spirit, Pharisees—they wouldn't have anything to do with John, um, the Baptist. They wouldn't take water baptism. They needed to. He said, if you, "If you refuse God's grace through John, then you can't have the baptism in the Spirit. Because we of water and the Spirit." He said, "Don't you, don't you understand? How can you be in a, a teacher in Israel and not know these things?" So there's that line of description of this promise of the father what i'm trying what i want to say to you is that jesus talked about the promise of the father in many different in a number of different shapes paul also talks about the promise of the father in a, a, another number of ways here's another one um, think about thirst and water how many thirst? Stories in John's Gospel when you think of there's the woman at the well if thou knewest the gift of God and who it was that said st- she was great this woman he, Jesus was there at the well and uh, sorry I can't see it um, uh, he was there at the well and he was, his disciples had gone off I think John must have been with him because we hear the story from John they had gone off to McDonald's or whatever they had in those days uh, to get food to the village and Jesus was stuck there with no bucket. They'd taken the bucket with them. I think they must have travelled with a, a flat canvas bucket. So there was the Lord, and he said to the woman at the well, uh, give me to drink. And she came straight out with it and said, what are you doing, a Jew, asking a drink of me? A woman from Samaria. And her frankness and openness um, clearly was, caused Jesus' heart to be glad. Um, so she said what she thought. She said, uh, she articulated her position. And he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that said to you, Give, to me, to give me to drink, I got no bucket, but you've got one, you'd have asked of him. And he would have given you living water. Yeah? And he talked about, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. But if, if you drink of the water, that whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never First. And the dear woman was a bit confused now. and said, oh Lord, give me this water so I don't have to come here. And I won't thirst again. So a little bit of wire crossing. But her response was genuine and elicited from Jesus. This. So here's another way of looking at the promise of the Father. The, the Father is going to let me give you living water. Do you remember... Uh, in the garden of Eden God, when, when he cast out Adam and Eve he set an angel to guard the way with a flaming sword lest they should get into the garden and eat of the tree of life and now because Jesus has gone to the Father he's going to give us living water we're going, he's going to give us the life that previously we were disbarred from Verse chapter 7. I'm just trying to think of the other first bit that I was thinking of. And I can't. There's chapter. Oh, yes, I think I can. There's chapter 7, the last day of the feast. The great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he interrupted the whole proceedings. You know? They're pretty noisy proceedings, a very joyful occasion this last day of the feast. But he stood up and he cut through the noise and he cried with a loud voice, If any man thirst! I know what I was going to say. Where else did he talk about thirst? To the simple folk up in Galilee. He, the first outing into this theory, theory this, um, this story was, uh, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. they should be filled. Okay, so we've got this thirst theme happening. Woman, uh, you'll never thirst. If you do thirst, you'll be filled. How? What's the story? We get a little bit more of the story in chapter 7. Why am I saying this? Because I want to illustrate to you that this is the promise of the Father. It's described in a number of ways. It's described as, yes, the new birth being generated from God. Yes, that's the promise of the Father. It's also the satisfaction of that thirst for God. If you hunger and thirst for God, code for righteousness, very righteousness is code for God, you'll be filled. What? After all these years, after all these generations of being separated, yes, you'll be filled. And here in chapter 7, we have a little bit more about the method, the manner, the mechanism of this filling. Come unto me. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So it wasn't a list of things to do. Come to me and drink. And the water that I shall give him, think about what he said to the woman, shall, uh, sorry, and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's a very different thing from I had a drink and now I'm satisfied. No, far beyond that. The Lord had said to the woman at the well, the, 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 the water that I shall give you shall become in you a spring of water, springing up unto life eternal. You mean my life's going to be very different like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, He that believeth in me, John chapter 7, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. There's another description I suggest to you of the promise of the Father, the miraculous intervention of God the Father through the activity of God the Son by the agency of the Holy Ghost. Salvation. Um, birth water we could go we could talk about circumcision the circumcision of the heart that our hearts are cut around and separated from the unclean the circumcision of the heart another reference to God doing this thing for men and women Beloved ones, I would like to submit for your uh, consideration that this promise of God is the central issue of Christianity. Don't say it's forgiveness. They had forgiveness before. He's the Lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, of the world. The Jews, if they sinned, they had to come according to the prescribed manner and slay the animal, give the blood to the priest. The priest would, would put the blood on the altar and they would have forgiveness. <clears throat> huh. No. Yes, we need forgiveness. But that's not the culmination of what Jesus came to do. It's a necessary step for us. But it's so that we can receive the promise of the Father I want to... We. I, must, I know I must close, I think. Um, so, I think that's the end of that rant. It's not really a rant, is it? Um, perhaps I could just say this a, a little... I know I've said it before, I'm a little bit hesitant. Um, you see, the Lord Jesus said that in John's Gospel, chapter 14... He said that, if you believe in me, you'll do greater works than I do. The works that I do, you will do. Here they were. All the works that Jesus was doing were being, do- were being done by the apostles. Philip, Stephen, the apostles in Jerusalem, the miracles, the healings, the wonders, they're all happening. And Jesus said, you'll do greater works. Why? Because I go to my Father. Please make the link Chapter 7, he that believeth in me as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And John's commentary was, but this spake he of the Spirit, which was not yet given. What's the last phrase? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Ah, but that's what Jesus said in chapter 14. Because I go to my Father. Because I'm glorified, I can do this now. Through you, through you guys, preaching my word, preaching the word, bearing your testimony to me, through that mechanism, you will do greater works than me. Work that I could never have done. The promise of the Father is, for now, it is for a time after Jesus walked the earth after he ascended into heaven and received the gift of the Father. And he hath shed forth this, which you now see and hear, said Peter. So, in this digression, I just wanted to emphasise to you, in the middle of all the facts and figures and the who went where, this theme is constantly represented to us. The promise of the Father. The core of Christianity is the miraculous intervention of God in individual lives to make them alive. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to do, in closing, um, make a reference just to something that I think you'll enjoy. If we go back to <clears throat> chapter 8, I'm looking for the part where it says they were baptised. Here we go. Verse 16. Who, when they were come down, says uh, Peter and John, they prayed concerning that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. But only they were baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. And I hoped that you'd let me just mention a couple of things like that. That phrase, I am told, um, that phrase had currency in day-to-day commercial language. So, an actor would transfer to the name of Ruby the possessions. And they become rubies. They're in her name now that's the phrase it was, a, it was a new thought to me about baptism we, yes, we conv- yes we are familiar with the concept of forgiveness that in our baptism God is declaring his forgiveness for all we've been yes I'm conscious that in baptism we are declaring um, our trusting him but there's also this transactional thing which I think is very very wonderful for us to think about just briefly, that uh, when we are baptised into the name of Jesus, Messiah, part of the meaning of that is that the ownership of this property is transferred into his name. Isn't that lovely? Mm-hmm. And so we have this in Paul's language. God, whose I am. Look, the world is drunk with the idea of individuality and independence It's a delusion. Um, <clears throat> we need to work out to whom we belong. That's the thing. Paul says, uh, uh, you think you're free? No way. You're a slave to sin. His servants you are, whom, to whom you yield your members to obey. <clears throat> and in being baptised into the name of Jesus, the rights to this being are transferred into his hand. And that we are confessing him to be master of Lord, owner, and Paul says, God, to whom I belong, whose I am, and whom I serve. Again and again we have the phrase, I'm the servant of Jesus, the King, or Jesus, Messiah, except that's English. The Greek is doulos, and you all know what doulos means, slave. The slave of. Now, slavery, the concept isn't very popular. Oh, no, I don't have a slave. Well, let me. I've got news for you. That's what Christianity is. It's becoming a slave of the one who alone is worthy of owning us. It's becoming the proper slave of the one who made us for himself to bless us. Oh, no, no, but my blessing could be being free. Mate, that ain't freedom. That's bondage to sin. Proper freedom is his control. So, here's a thrilling thought. that when we're baptised, the rights to our property, the rights to our being, are transferred into the hands of Jesus. It's a bit like marriage, I guess. Um, I'm not going to betray you. I'm yours now. Here's a public confession. I'm yours. I'm, I'm not going to betray you. I belong to you. Um, and that's, I think, an aspect of baptism. Lord, I'm yours. Your curios, master, owner, Lord, I'm not going to betray you. I belong to you now. Um, mm, isn't that a lovely thought? I enjoyed that one. Uh, uh, to be baptised into his name. And so the the rest of our lives become the duty, the obligation and the privilege of proving that by our action day by day by day. Until he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And here's just another thought. Um, Paul talks about being an unprofitable servant. Lord, you didn't get any more out of me than you'd already paid for. There was no profit in it. I'm an unprofitable servant. You got only what I owed you. No, nothing extra on top. There was a hymn that we're not going to sing. Um, and one of the verses, uh, well, there's quite a few actually. There are only four. Ah, oh, that's what I was going to do. I was going to read it to you. Am I permitted to read to you this that's hymn? It. Well, I think that might cause some consternation. I'd love to. I might. Why not? Would that be... Would you mind if we did that, if I say no? There's only four verses, so the agony will be short-lived. This is George Matheson. Have you heard of George Matheson? Um, Church of Scotland minister he went blind um, he was engaged to be married he went blind and his girlfriend, fiance said, I'm not going to marry you I can't be married to a blind man for the rest of my life Um, he wrote this on the eve of the wedding of his daughter his sister, who would kind of looked after him Um, and he says he wrote it in five minutes and he didn't change a word the only thing he's ever done like that um, I think the, implica- the implication is that he just received this from the Lord anyway <clears throat> I think you'll like it, the word
1: <clears throat> sorry about the noise <laughs> Oh, love that wilt not let me go I rest my weary soul in thee I give thee back the life I owe
0: that was the verse, I give thee back the life I owe. He made us. We are made for him. We've just got to give our lives back to him. we were unprofitable servants. We've been baptised into his name. I give thee back the life
1: I owe. That <laughs> in thine ocean depth its flow, may richer, fuller be. <clears throat> O light that followest all my way, I yield my flickering torch to Thee. My heart restores its borrowed ray, That in Thy sunshine's blaze its day May brighter, there be. O joy that seeketh me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tear let be last first. This is probably perhaps the best one. <clears throat> Second best. <clears throat> mm. Oh, cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lend us life's glory dead. And from the ground there blossoms red, life that shall endless be. Here we are. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, guys. Um,
0: I think I I should have stuck with the first plan, which was to read it. But never mind. Too late. Um, hmm. Shall we just pray for a moment? Um, so I hope you don't mind. We haven't steamed ahead to finish Acts chapter 8 but I just did feel that it would be helpful for us to consider the various ways in which the promise of the Father is presented to us and meditate on the concept of its centrality that is the Christian gospel that the eternal God intervenes miraculously by the agency of the Holy Ghost to bring many sons to glory. To make you and me into a son of God. Someone directly generated of the Father. Let's stop at nothing less. Let's seek that for our friends and hmm, let's pray. Father, thank you. Father, we wonder at these things. And though they sound so strange, though it's almost as if nobody could have thought of such a thing, even as we hear your word, we know it's you. And we know it's true. We know that you're true. We open our hearts to you and say, Father, be it unto me according to your word. But we leave aside the limitations of our understanding the limitations of our previous aspirations and say lead us Father into your ways into your things for your name's sake, that you should be glorified on the earth that men and women would see the light that you've put in us and glorify our Father in heaven our worthy Father thank you we worship you. Thank you for transferring us into the name of Jesus so that we've found our proper owner. We give thee back the life we owe for you to direct, for you to command, for you to make the decisions about, trusting, Father, that it will be well with our soul if it's in your hands. Amen. Amen.